Hey, good morning, everybody. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you, and I uh, hope you have a wonderful day of celebration planned and for the big moment tomorrow morning, and some of people do it on Christmas Eve, I guess, when we all get to celebrate Christmas with presents and lots of food and stuff. That's awesome. Welcome to those at Pleasant View. Uh, we love you. Trust uh, Christmas is going well down there as well, and welcome those in the chapel. Let's all have a word of prayer together, and uh, we'll get started. Lord, thank you so much for this incredible day. The high honor we've had to worship you in all of our different settings, all of the different worship experiences we've been, we have this morning. And thank you, Father, for your presence, um, for allowing us to be together. Thank you for all those who are visiting today, uh, folks that may not normally uh, come to a church like this. And right now, the whole thing's maybe kind of weird to them or <laughs> maybe they're sort of skeptical and all that. I just pray uh, that through the next few moments, we would all just uh, kind of unite as the human race. And uh, people who are looking to make the world a better place and make their lives better. And uh, what that looks like for for all of us. So uh, have your way, I pray. Hide me deep in your cross in your name. Amen. Lisa uh, bought us something this Christmas uh, for the whole family. And it's a music subscription thing uh, with Apple Music. I don't know what it's called. But the basic idea of of it is this, that... um, we all get to download whatever songs we want to listen to for, for a monthly fee. Does that make sense? And so, and so we've been doing that. And um, I, I love that because I'm a big Christmas music guy. I love Christmas music. I'll listen to it nonstop. Uh, last night, the family was all decorating Christmas cookies. I'm not allowed to do that. Um, but so we're all decorating Christmas cookies. But I was, the, I was the, the DJ. And so I was the one playing all the music for everybody and uh, stretching my children's horizons as we listened to some Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings and Tom T. I mean, it went way back. But anyway, it's kind of fun as we did all that. And, and this time of year, I go big into Christmas music. And I have Christmas music playing all the time. It's one of the ways that I sort of get lifted into the right, right place. So, so when I found out this service that Lisa got, I was like, man, I'm going to download every Christmas song ever made. And so, you know, I just started downloading Christmas songs to listen to them. And, and I discovered that some of the top artists of this day and actually days of yesterday have actually released Christmas albums. And so they have all these Christmas albums that are out. And I started looking at all these Christmas albums. But what I didn't find in my search were the Christmas songs that actually carried the message of what I think Christmas is all about. <laughs> it was sort of this disconnect. Now, please, I'm not, I'm not a I'm not a Christmas, Merry Christmas, holiday, Happy Holidays guy. I don't think that's a worthwhile division. I, 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 I do think that there's a meaning to Christmas that's important to me. So, so here's some, just some, uh, kind of a quiz for you. You know what the best-selling Christmas song of all time is? White Christmas. White Christmas. You know how many times anything mentioned about Jesus is in White Christmas? <laughs> and so, uh, so this year, Mariah Carey, of all people, do you remember Mariah Carey? Okay, those of us that grew up in the 80s. So Mariah Carey, of all people, her song that she recorded in 1994, actually at the top of the charts again this year, and the, Christ- and the song was, All I Want for Christmas is You. Just for clarity, she's not talking about Jesus there, okay? She's talking about something else, okay? A little more research revealed that the, t- of the top 10 best-selling Christmas songs of all time since the beginning of time, since before time was invented, okay? The top 10 Christmas songs of all time. Not one of them speaks about Jesus. <laughs> and that, that, I'm not, doesn't that surprise you a little bit? Doesn't it just surprise you? Just, you know, so do you want to build a snowman? Okay, yeah, but we're in South Carolina. Rocking around a Christmas tree, okay? Uh, Jingle Bell Rock. And all of that sort of points to this tension that I have growing in me, and it's the tension I want to speak to you about. And even if you're a believer or not believer, I'd like to speak to you about the tension and just see where you, where you land with this. And basically the tension is this. I would suggest Christmas is this tension between style and substance. 
I think there's a tension there. It's a healthy tension, but there is a tension between style and substance. Because on the style side of things, we have some awesome things we do this, kind, this time of year. It's the only time in all of the year that, all, that we all pause and do these weird things. It's all-encompassing. Uh, we'll cook food. Ham and turkey and salad for you vegans. And, and we'll all sort of sit around and have a meal. We'll make special cookings with icing on them. And we'll make a fruitcake and throw it away because nobody likes fruitcake. And then, and then we'll, and then we'll I know, send an email. Then we'll drink eggnog and we'll drink cider and probably other stuff. We'll do all that as part of the celebration. And then we go all out for decorations, don't we? I've seen some of your homes. It's embarrassing, okay? We, we go all out for these decorations and, and everything from lights on the house to inflatables in the yard. And Thomas and I were actually taking a friend home, and we went to a house that was decorated to the hilt, and it had its own radio station. And the lights would beat in rhythm to the radio station. So if that's your house and a white SUV was parked outside for about 30 minutes, that's me and Thomas. We were checking the whole thing out, having a blast watching that. We go on the search for the perfect Christmas tree. Or maybe if you're not American, you go and get out of the attic. But we already covered that last week, you know, or up out of the basement. Uh, we, we, we spend long hours buying the perfect Christmas gift. Some of us are going to debt trying to buy the perfect, the perfect Christmas gift to give to people we love. And then we'll wrap them all in paper and bows or newspaper and we put them, put them under the tree. We even changed the way we dress. I enjoyed standing in my office and watching many of you walk in this morning with your special sweater that you purchased for this time of year. And what I think is funny about some of that is some of you purchased that sweater because it was a celebration. Other people purchased the exact same sweater as an ugly sweater party they had to go to this time of year. <laughs> and we all just have a blast, don't we? Christmas is an amazing, amazing time of year. It has a lot of style, and it's a great deal of fun for families. And, and the Harding family is no different. We, we love, love this time of year. But Christmas also has substance to it. It does, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Christmas is more than just wishing someone good tidings. You know, that's like saying, good luck, roll the dice, and I hope it comes up in your favor. Christmas is more than expressing that we love somebody with a gift or establishing the value of family by everybody coming home for Christmas. It's, it's more than that, because Christmas has this deep meaning And whether we like it or not, we have to at least acknowledge where this whole thing began. It's impossible to actually comprehend the style of Christmas if you don't get the substance of Christmas. So Christians believe, and I don't know if you're a believer or not, but Christians believe that the substance of Christmas has everything to do with this person whose name is Jesus. That's what Christians believe. Jesus is at the center of what's called a nativity. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that term. It's a Latin term that means arisen at birth. And in the center of the nativity, it commonly refers to the environment where Christians believe Jesus was born. So in a nativity, usually there's a barn and, and, and there's some, some animals around, you know, kind of like the petting zoo thing out front and, and, and some other ones. There are often shepherds and eventually, eventually people put wise men in there, even though they came a couple years later. And of course, there's Mary and Joseph. And in the middle of it all is a manger. And a baby. This is the whole beginning of what Christmas is for us as a country, as a world. This is where it started, in this manger. And that leads me to this question. If we remove the manger from the nativity scene, can we still have Christmas? Or, or are we going to sort of settle for the style Christmas? 
Because if that's what we're going to do, fine, let's just somebody make that decision. If we remove the manger, can we still have it? Because there are a lot of people in our world who's going to celebrate the style of Christmas this year. But there's no manger. They're going to all gather around some Christmas tree tomorrow, and they're going to rip open presents, and some they're going to like, and some they're going to put in the take-back pile, you know. But there's no manger. And they're going to cook all these special foods and have all these cookies, but no manger. And to me, that's something we ought to at least make a decision about. We'll have angels and have gifts and have shepherds and lights and trees, but no substance. And so I sort of just want to get clarity about the substance part of Christmas. And and to do that, I just want to share with you one verse. In fact, it's the first verse of the New Testament. If you ever want to go look it up, it's in the kind of halfway through the scripture, the first book of the New Testament. A little warning, this isn't an inspirational verse. You're not going to smile and say, oh, that just touches me. Because it's not going to touch you at all, I promise, okay? This is not an inspirational verse. And the substance that I'm speaking of, though, will require, I think, everybody to sort of make a choice about what we believe and what we believe about Jesus. Here's the verse. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If you need to take a moment and wipe tears from your eyes, and by all means, please do that, right? Not, Not totally inspirational. It doesn't really hit you in the heart. But in this one verse, I would suggest all the substance of Christmas is mentioned. And it centers on this dude, Jesus, on this person, Jesus. A record of the genealogy of Jesus. Do you know what the name Jesus means? He saves. That's what the name means. He saves. Now, if I were to introduce myself to you and say, hey, uh, how are you? Uh, My name is He Saves. You would say, saves from what? Would you not? Because it doesn't make any sense. If I say my name is Tom, that makes sense. That's a great name. I had nothing to do with it. My parents gave it to me. But nonetheless, it's an awesome name. But if I come and you say, hey, my name is He Sage. You think, okay, creep alert, creep alert. You know, and you start saying, don't, 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 take, don't mess with strangers kind of thing. Well, Jesus, that's his name. And so my question as a natural born skeptic is, well, you saved me from What? You save from what? Are you a lifeguard? Are you on Baywatch? What are you, you know, that he saves? Well, that's a huge part of the substance of Christmas. Even if you don't believe, isn't it true we can all look around the planet and see all kinds of things we wish were not part of the planet? All kinds of things that we wish were not part of the human story? I, I can. Mass injustices around the globe poor or weak people being powered over by people that have the most weapons, most power, injustices, hunger, poverty, global conflict, uncertainty, lack of clean water, terrorist attacks. If it were up to me, I'd kind of write all that stuff off. And I'd say, man, if we could deliver us from something like that, those kinds of things, that'd be a good deal. But can I get a little more personal? There's some things in my own life that I could see that I'd sort of like to write off. There's some things in me that I think, man, if that chapter could be removed, that'd be a good chapter to take out. If that attitude could be gone, if that hypocrisy could be removed. And we see all kinds of things that were part of our lives that we wish were not part of our stories. And while not all of those things are are called sin... Some of us call some of those things sin. And we all, everybody acknowledges that we've all made choices to do wrong things before. And 
Well, that's what Jesus came to save from. Whatever you call those things, that's what Jesus came to save us from. Christians call those things sin, but all of us would call those things shame-producing and guilt-producing. Jesus came to save us from that. And that's, that's, that's part of us. So when Jesus says, my name is he saves, I dial into that. Something's important that's taking place. Jesus summarized it with these words, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. That's Jesus. And whoever, that means me, you, the postman, doesn't matter. Whoever believes in him won't perish, but you have eternal life. Get this part. We always leave this off. He says, God didn't send his son, Jesus, he saves, into the world to condemn it, but to save it, but to save the world through him. Sometimes we get confused and think Jesus came to make a nice and naughty list. You're getting your, you're getting your stories confused, you know. That's Santa that makes the nice and naughty list, not Jesus. Jesus came to save, not tell on us. Jesus came with a clear purpose to save. Jesus saves, and that's part of the substance. The record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a word I don't say every day. It's a word I don't hear every day. Sometimes I hear it, but it's usually in the form of a swear word. But he's called the Christ in this little verse at the beginning of the New Testament. That word Christ, it's the word Messiah. Have you ever heard Handel's Messiah? That's that word. And a Messiah means anointed. And, and so anointed, we don't use it very much, so just allow me to explain a little bit. But anointed means to be set apart for a specific task. He saves, set apart for a specific task. <clears throat> and at the time when the New Testament was written, there were only two occupations that were anointed. Priest and king. And that's it. No other anointings. Well, Jesus Christ, apparently, he saves the anointed one, was considered a priest and a king. A priest who mediates on our behalf and a king who apparently is going to reign forever. And that's a pretty significant title that I think everybody ought to make a choice about. The Messiah, the Christ, anointed for a specific task. Oh.
You know, the line that gets me in that song every time we sing it is, is a line that I think sometimes I missed because I don't know what the word means. And the line is this, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Well, I don't know much about what pining means. <laughs> but, but pining means this longing and suffering. Pining paints this serious, tragic picture of a world literally wallowing in our need. Again, allow me to be more personal. Pining paints a serious, tragic picture of a man named Tom wallowing in his need until he appeared. Until he saves the anointed, Jesus Christ appeared. And Jesus came in a manger, and Christ was born. And the anointed set apart to save, to build a bridge between God and us, to connect us to God's kingdom. This is the substance of Christmas. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Son of David. You know, Matthew, who wrote all these words, was a Jewish tax collector, and he was writing to Jewish people, and everybody knew who David was. David was the Hall of Fame king for Israel. He did the David and Goliath thing with the stones, you know. He'd led the king to become Israel. He brought it power and significance and wealth. He was a Hall of Fame king, and he was anointed. So, of course, if Jesus is the son of David, then Jesus must have royalty in his blood. In fact, we also sing about this all the time, but this time when we sing it, listen for who Jesus is the king of. you think about angels. I see them as big. I see angels as nine feet tall. Remember, I told you, I see angels having these huge wings. And remember the angel wing sound, right, that I shared a couple of weeks ago? It was like, you know, when an angel lands in a room, it's like that kind of sound, nine feet tall. And they have these swords. I, I picture angels carrying swords. I just think they're not human. They're not God. They're somewhere there in the middle. Jesus Christ, son of David, royalty in his blood. Ready? 
born the king of angels. Essentially, Jesus is the king of angel armies. Jesus is the king of warriors. And he's the king of me and the king of you. And there's something you need to know about kings. Good kings will always be threatened by bad kings. And this is part of the substance of Christmas. Everybody has some sort of king in our lives. You have one and I have one. We may not call him king, but we all have it. We have something that rules our lives, some kind of filter that determines everything else that happens. And the substance of Christmas may mean the baby in a manger is actually a threat to the king in your life. Some of us are ruled by our need for attention. Some of us may be ruled for our by our need for success. Some of us are ruled by the need for acceptance or the need to be right. Some of us are ruled by the need of influence or power. Many of us are ruled by our passions and by desires. Some are ruled by control or lack of forgiveness. Some are ruled by emotional battles or the role of a victim. Well, just to be honest with you, Jesus in the manger will actually prove to be a threat to all those things. And all this is the point I'm trying to make today. The style of Christmas is something everybody can enjoy. It's a wonderful party. It's a celebration. It's a wide and diverse. It's as wide and diverse as humanity itself. But the style of Christmas must point to the substance. Otherwise, we have a nativity without a manger. An event without meaning. The style points to the substance which may lead to this question in your mind. At least it does in mine. Okay, Tom, all the style and all the substance, I get that. But so what? I'm going to live my life. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to make a bunch of money. Hope I'm going to retire well. What does it mean? Who cares? So what? Why can't we just have the style without the substance? I can't help think about this time of year, uh, 19 years ago. And I always remember it. In fact, I can bring back all the emotions um, Lisa and I had a Christmas that we, we will never forget in our almost 30 years of marriage. And uh, Rachel was two. Sarah's just kind of hanging around like a blob because she couldn't do anything. She's still a baby, just kind of sitting there, you know. Thomas was still a twinkle in my eye. Well, Rachel, our two-year-old, falls sick that Christmas. And ended up being something, a stomach thing that they couldn't get under control but we didn't know that. So right around Christmas Eve, when everything's supposed to be celebration and all that, we're, we're running back and forth to the doctors and taking her home and getting sick. She gets sick again. We've got to take her back. And So we were young parents. And if you all remember when you were young parents, we all get scared to death in those moments, right? And we think the worst case scenario, like, you know, she's got leprosy or something, you know, something horrible. So it ends up that Rachel gets hospitalized on Christmas Eve. And so Lisa and I took turns staying with her. Um, Lisa was doing medical school or residency one, and so 
I kind of took more of the time at that, at that point, and, and honestly, I wanted to. It was a dad thing. I wanted to be with the kid. Does that make sense? And it was a kind of early morning of that Christmas. I'll never forget, partly because my back's still recovering from the hospital chair that was there you know, in the room that you're supposed to try to relax in. And the God and I were having this conversation. I wasn't sleeping. And I was complaining. I was, I was angry. I reminded God of what I do for a living. <laughs> I wanted Christmas to be filled with wonderful memories and opening presents and yelling and screaming and spending the morning in pajamas. And, and here was this little girl that I loved in a way I'd never had loved before stuck in a hospital bed. And I was letting God know this was not my plan. <laughs> this is not what I wanted. And I vented. By the time morning finally came, I was exhausted. Rachel was still sacked out in the bed there, and I heard some folks out in the hallway of the hospital. And they were singing Christmas carols of substance. Joy to the world. And I watched Rachel wake up and scramble to the end of her bed to see what was going on out in the hallway. And so I opened the door. And we celebrated Christmas together, father and daughter, by hearing about the substance of Christmas. Fast forward almost 20 years. And as I reflect back on that morning with Rachel in the hospital room, I learned a very valuable truth that I'd like to share with you for you to decide whether or not it's truth for you. What I learned was this. Even if it all goes black in my life, Even if Rachel has something that she doesn't recover from. Even if we've experienced loss this year. And we'll be grieving around the Christmas tree. Even if we experienced financial ruin or financial difficulty. Even if we experienced relationships that turn sour. And there's no hope that they're going to actually be restored. At least as near as we can tell. Even if we said goodbye to a marriage or hello to a new relationship. Even if the kids stop talking to us and don't want to come home for Christmas. As long as there is a light in the manger, there's hope for the world. As long as there's a substance to this holiday, there's hope, one Savior one king, one Messiah, anointed for us all. Jesus, thank you for your goodness to us. And I do pray for all these folks visiting with me today, listening to the sound of my voice. I do pray that the substance of Christmas is very real for them. The thought of friends here in the room and friends listening to the sound of my voice going through this Christmas without you with no light in the manger, 
kind of breaks my heart. I know what some folks in the room are wrestling with, and I'm inspired by their faith, and I'm fearful for those who don't have it. Hey, listen, if you're one of those people and you don't have that substance, I just want to encourage you, you can begin a relationship with He saves the anointed king and priest. And it's not as complicated as I think sometimes we make it. It's actually you just talking with God like you would talk to me. It seems a little weird at the beginning. I'll be honest, it does. But you can ask God to forgive. Forgive for those things that you wish had never happened. And he'll do that. He does. And you can actually leave here with the hope of light in a manger. And it'll change your life forever. Lord, I pray for my friends in the room who need to be reminded this moment that there is a light in the manger. And I pray as we now turn our attention toward candles and lighting and watching this light spread, I pray the light of hope would spread in our hearts in magnificent fashion. In your name, amen.